the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for getting back in the swing of things in this town. Uh, great to see everyone. I'm going to talk about love this morning. I'm talking about love, but maybe you'll discover as I talk about what the Bible's uh, understanding, definition, slash iteration of love is, might sort of um, contrast with what we commonly understand uh, uh, love to be, even in, in relationships. Um, so that's what's ahead of us, and I hope it helps you. Uh, we had a Christchurch staff retreat a couple weeks ago, all of us up there, and we did a big thoroughgoing Bible study on love. Uh, and the famous passage that you've heard at weddings, I'm sure, the 1 Corinthians 13 passage, you know, love sort of uh, Paul's paean of, of, of love, love is patient, kind, um, love uh, does not boast, doesn't envy, not arrogant or rude, and um, love doesn't insist on its own way, it's not easily angered, and, and doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And you hear that, and there's the bride and the groom up there, and um, it's beautiful, and you're thinking about what's going to be served at the reception, and you think, this is great, this just sounds really nice. But um, think about that if you, if you actually took seriously what Paul says about love in your own life. And, and I'm going to ask you to think about your, if possible, if you can make the switch. I know there's a lot happening here, there are a lot of people, and, um, but make the switch to your, your real self, your actual self versus your idealized self as you listen to, to, to the Bible's um, description of love. If you actually take it seriously, it's daunting, those things. And you might find that your actual self bears very little resemblance to Paul's description of love. And we were talking about this, and one of our, um, our graduate fellows who just went back with the kids said, wow, this, this whole thing reminds me of the 1984 Talking Heads album called Stop Making Sense. And I thought, there is hope for the future. Somebody, 23-year-old quoting David Byrne, yes. Um, but her point's excellent. It, it, because if you get past all the, 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 the LUV love feeling about it, um, then you have to admit that it doesn't really make a lot of sense for the way we live our actual lives in relationships with broken people, in relationships with other broken people. Um, how about, let's just for an example, and then we're going to get to Paul's uh, iteration of love that, um, that we read this morning. Does not insist on its own way. I mean, um, think about just, just take this, this personally, you know, think about the last argument that you were in or the argument you happen to still be in right now see a few people moving away from each other. <laughs> like, I gotta go get some coffee, sorry. Um, and um, think about sort of how much you, um, time you spent marshalling your own arguments and justifications and rationales versus taking a step back and really trying to understand the other person's point of view. Um, uh, love does not insist on its own way. You know, it just feels culturally too. That's not something that really lands. I mean, what we're, we, we, it seems we're in a cultural moment where everyone um, assists on their own way in terms of their rights and their identities and their their uh, boundaries. 
you know, and, and not only do I insist on my own way, but I insist on you insisting on my own way. And so um, there's very little seeding of one's self um, in that when we come down to it either sociologically or personally. How about not easily angered? Um, you know, just, we, we again, thinking about sociologically, you know, we don't hear this as much right now, but where's the rage? And where's the rage? Um, and rage, let's be, to be H, it feels really good. Rage is clean and it clarifies and you get up on your high horse. Anger, you know, come not between the dragon and his wrath, you know, Lear says. And, um, you, you are right and they are wrong and they deserve to be punished and, and anger uh, in your own mind quickly turns to righteous anger and it, gosh, it feels good. Um, but as Shakespeare says in a later play when he was older, he, not a furnace for your foe so hot that it do singe yourself um, uh, because uh, a, a righteous anger uh, requires a righteous person, and you are not that person, nor am I. One more, and then we'll move on to today's. Love keeps no record of wrongs, and this is like the clincher for me. I mean, um, does anybody else have a scoreboard? <laughs> Your record keeping? I mean, last week, one day, I made dinner and cleaned up. Nobody noticed or thanked me, you know? Imagine that. Um, so, I mean, if you're not an inveterate record keeper, I'd like to meet you, because I really haven't met anybody who doesn't tot up his or her own deposits in the bank of, of one's own virtue or having done this, especially parents of young children tend to do this with each other, not that we have any of those here. Um, and um, yet, at the same time, you meticulously record all the grievances, withdrawals uh, from the people around you on this bank. And, and so you think, okay, love keeps no record of wrongs. All right, I guess don't stand up for yourself. Wipe the slate clean. Um, well, that, well, you can't do that. You've got you've to be a doormat. Uh, I, I mean, you can't be a doormat. You've got to have boundaries. That would be a doormat, and that just doesn't make sense. 1903 Samuel Butler novel, um, which I got Blue Whale called The Way of All Flesh, which don't bother. Um, uh, the guy gets way too sanctimonious in it. So, but. But anyway, uh, one nugget, an Eton Cambridge graduate from, you know, 19, uh, late 1800s summarizes the attitude um, that we can find, you know, easily among ourselves a, a century later, maybe especially even among Episcopalians. He says, one shouldn't dismiss Christianity entirely. There's some good moral teaching in it, maybe. But um, one ought not to take it too seriously. Uh, you're getting to meddling in one's, one's actual life. Well, Paul says, no, I'm sorry. Um, this is to be taken seriously, especially uh, about love, because what's more important than love? And in Romans today, he continues this theme, owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves 
has fulfilled the law. Do you hear what he's just said? Can't get more serious than that. The Ten Commandments, which is God's, um, God's clearest um, directive to you and me about how to live. Um, and according to Paul, all the other biblical commandments, they're all summed up in one word, which is love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's, that's big stuff. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we hear that, yeah, okay, got that. It sounds well and good, but this kind of love taken seriously, which is what we, we want to do as Christian people, well, that just stops making sense in the practical side of life. And let me just give you a very potent example from our theological muse, muse Robert Capon. So, um, and you can easily jump ship from this personal example into your own life. You can abreact as to what that means because you've all got somebody with whom you're in conflict right now and probably many people. Um, he says this. <clears throat> um, so he juxtaposes sort of straight line power and like tough love and let's keep our boundaries with the Bible's view of love which keeps no records of wrongs. And he says, as a, as, a, as a proposition, so you've got to be on board with this proposition, which maybe you're not, but um, as Christians we're told to. If you take the view that one of the chief objects in life is to remain in loving relationship with the people around you, like that's the most important thing, not the other stuff, but that's the most, actually to remain in loving relationship, he says then straight line power becomes useless. Now he says, admittedly, you can snatch your baby boy away from a cliff, um, but just try interfering with his plans when he's 20, especially if his plans play havoc with your own. And then he says, suppose he makes an unauthorized use of your car, and you use a little straight-line verbal power to scare him out of doing it again. Well and good, but suppose further that he does it again anyway, and again and again and again and again. We all have these situations. What do you do next if you're committed to straight line power? You raise your voice a little more nastily till you can't shout any longer. You beat him, that is if you're bigger than he is, till you can't beat any harder. Then you chain him to a radiator, dot, 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 dot. You see it play out. Caping includes, you see the point. And this is where I'm getting at right now. At some very early crux in that difficult personal relationship, the whole thing will be destroyed unless you, who on any reasonable view should be allowed to use that straight line power, you simply refuse to use it. Unless, in other words, you decide instead of dishing out justifiable pain and punishment, you are willing quite foolishly to take a beating yourself. So apply to yourself and that person, person X. Just to be clear, I'm not using Capon as, a, as an example of a, of a how-to guide to parenting. But I actually do believe that what he says not only be true, but the most effective way to be in relationship with a person if you want to stay in relationship with that person. So 
But I don't use it as a prescription because we can't do it. I use that example to show you in your actual versus idealized self how exasperatingly impossible it is to take the Bible's description of love seriously. To actually love in the way that St. Paul prescribes. It just doesn't make sense. Who can love like that? Who can love in a way that fulfills the law? Nobody. Not a single one of us. This is not to say that there aren't moments and that we can and should try and you'll see moments of grace and hope and forgiveness and deliverance and even love bubbling up in the most conflicted situations it happens all the time by the grace of the Holy Spirit. It's not to say that when you enter into a relationship with your, your white flag raised of surrender, I surrender my rights here. Um, the flag of, 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 of not keeping record of wrongs. Then, then moments happen when you are you experience love in a way that you see is profoundly different and better than the world's view. But can you do this even a little bit of the time? I don't think so, because no one can. Well, not true. There was one, right? There was one. There was one who loved like that. There was one who, instead of dishing out justifiable pain and punishment, was willing quite foolishly to take a beating himself. For on the cross, Jesus not only kept no records of wrongs, but he did away with a whole system of divine scorekeeping. As Paul says elsewhere, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, record book, which stood against us justifiably and condemned us justifiably. He's taken it away foolishly, nailing it to a cross. Jesus lived a life that you cannot live. He died the death that you deserve to die, and me too, and that is the gospel. And you know you're hearing the gospel when the gospel stops making sense. A God? Who takes the beating for himself that we justifiably deserve? It makes no sense. A God that loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on your behalf and take the beating himself? Seriously? Thanks be to God. Yeah. Seriously. Amen.